How solid is your faith? Is there room for a little flexibility here? A tiny concession there? Sometimes, small compromises lead to Satan's biggest victories. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes us back to the once strong church of Pergamos. We can buy compromises that still echo in our world today. With the conclusion of his message, The Church in Satan's City, here's David. Well, you know, churches are so different. I've been in so many of them across the world, around the country here in America and in many countries around the world. Each church has its own personality. Sometimes people say the church is the length and shadow of its leader. But churches are really not any different than they've ever been. All of the issues that you see in churches today were evident in the churches to which John wrote his letters as reproduced in the book of Revelation. It's amazing to study it with that in mind, and also to find some of the answers that were prescribed by the Holy Spirit for the ills of the church. We'll get back to that in just a few moments as we open our Bibles once again to Revelation chapter 2. We'll get to that in just a moment, but since I have this book in my hands, let me remind you, you can get your copy of this book. All you have to do is send a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of March. If all you do that, if everybody keeps doing that, we'll be able to extend this ministry around the world and teach these prophetic truths everywhere. Uh, And we encourage you to help us. And when you do, we just want to help you and send encouragement to you and add value to your walk with Christ. This 463-page book will be a great asset to your library and a great blessing to your heart. It will unpack for you many of the mysteries of the prophetic word, and we're so excited to send it to you as our way of saying thank you for your investment in Turning Point. When you send your gift this month, be sure to ask for your copy of the Book of Signs. Well, right now, Uh, We need to get back to our study from Revelation chapter 2, The Church in Satan's City, Revelation 2, 12 through 17. You know, you're reading along and you're reading all these good things and you hope that the word but doesn't come into the conversation. The word nevertheless or the word but. Now, as we learn the church in Smyrna, there isn't anything bad said about Smyrna. There's one other church like that, the Church of Philadelphia. But in all the other letters... The writer of the letter gives you all the things that are good about the church and then slips in these few things that aren't so good. You remember Ephesus was a good church, had a lot going for it, dominant, very dynamic, but they had left their first love. Notice what the Lord says about this church. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now let's break that down. Let's talk about that for just a moment. Satan was not able to destroy the Christians in Pergamos by coming in as a roaring lion. But he was making inroads as a deceiving serpent. (laughs) A group of compromising people had infiltrated the church fellowship in Pergamos, and Jesus hated their doctrines and their practices. He refers to this doctrine as the doctrine of Balaam. Now, I know some of you know this story, but this is a great story from the Old Testament. So let me just tell you the story like we were just sitting around a fire here. I wanted to tell you this great Old Testament story. The Bible says that In the Old Testament, 
there was a man by the name of Balaam who Satan used against the people of God. Balaam was a prophet who professed to be able to influence the gods for or against people by his incantations and his offerings. He ran a wholesale business in divine favors and he would negotiate with any god for whatever price. Balak, who was the king of Moab, promised Balaam a fat fee if he would come to Moab and curse Israel for him. Balaam responded, but he soon discovered that he could not command Jehovah. Instead, God of Israel took command of him. And this is kind of humorous. When he was forbidden by God to go to Moab on the first invitation, he assumed that God might change his mind the second time around. Balak offered him a larger fee, and Balaam thought it profitable to argue with God if he could make that kind of money. God allowed him finally to go, but after he got there, he compelled him to bless Israel instead of curse him, which didn't make his hirer very happy. <laughs> Balak offered him a larger fee. Frustrated by his failure to meet the terms of his contract, Balaam said, I won't do this, but let me show you how you can curse Israel what you have to do is use a stumbling block in the form of enticement. Get the people of Israel to intermarry with the Moabites. These adulterous women will seduce them and take part of their religion and marry it with theirs and cause them to offer idolatrous sacrifices and commit fornication. Thus, Balaam was the prime mover in the fall of Israel. And if you know the story, you remember that it led to a plague which caused 24,000 Israelites to die. The doctrine of Balaam is this. Listen carefully. If you can't curse them, corrupt them. If you can't curse them, corrupt them. If somebody says, what's the doctrine of Balaam? What the doctrine of Balaam is, is if you can't curse them, just corrupt them. The sin of Pergamos was the toleration of evil and the toleration of evil men. And the error of Balaam is mentioned in the New Testament. In Jude, verse 11, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And also in 2 Peter 2.15 we read, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. The error and the way of Balaam are embodied in the evil practice of using God for personal gain. The late Donald Gray Barnhouse once wrote, The very word Pergamos has in it the same root from which we get our English word for bigamy and polygamy. It is the word for marriage. Pergamos signifies a mixed marriage in the most objectionable sense of the word. It is a marriage of the organization of the church of Jesus Christ with the world. The doctrine of Balaam. Then he mentions this other very strange thing, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. He says, you people have done a lot of good things, but you allowed compromise into your church. You allowed people to come in and cause you to break down your convictions, and you begin to act like the world, and you brought the world in among you. And then he says, you have the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, and 
the word Nicolaitan is derived from two words, which means to conquer the laity. And once again, most scholars believe that Nicolaitanism is the subjugation of people in a hierarchy so that some were lording it over others. This is where the clergy and the laity came into play, where some were promoted to places of high influence and given authority over the laity. We'll have more to say about that in a moment. Now, Jesus has something to say to this church in verse 16. He said, if you don't repent of the doctrine of Balaam and of allowing the priesthood of the believer to be compromised in a laity clergy division, I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, I'm passing over some things, but I want you to get what happened here. In the city of Pergamos, what happened was the church was married with the world. Now remember, in the letters to the churches, we have representation of periods of time in the history of the church. Remember, the church in Ephesus represents the early church, the church of the apostles, the church that we read about in the book of Acts. And the church in Smyrna was the persecuted church. Remember, right after the church was born, after the first stages of the church, the church in history went through a time of great persecution. That's the Smyrnian period of the church when suffering was incredible. Remember, it was the persecution that thrust the disciples out of Jerusalem and made it possible for the gospel to be spread. Isn't it interesting? The Lord said, go into all the world and preach the gospels, and nobody ever left Jerusalem. Kind of like us, right? Sometimes I think that we haven't done enough to reach the world for Jesus Christ, so God's just brought the world around us. It's like the Lord said, if you won't go into all the world, I'll bring all the world to you. Well, in the book of Acts chapter 8, I believe in verse 4, we're told that they wouldn't go into all the world and preach the gospel, so the Lord sent persecution, and they were scattered abroad everywhere except the apostles. And guess what happened? The word of God was broadcast throughout all the world. God sent persecution, and the gospel was spread. Those are the first two periods, the period of apostolic love and the period of suffering. But now we're in this third period. And this third period is most interesting. And I'm going to jump to the end of some of the things I was going to say and tell you this story because this is, to me, the incredible ministry of the church of Pergamos. During the Smyrnian period, when the church was suffering. For 250 years, Satan persecuted the church. How many of you have ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? It's not bedtime reading. I suggest you don't read that before you go to bed. It is a very disturbing book, not only describing how Christians suffered for their faith, but the ways in which that happened. And people are telling me that in the last 10 years, more people have suffered for Christ than during this 250 years when persecution reigned among Christendom. Diocletian was the emperor who was reigning during that time. He literally tried to stamp out the church by persecuting them. And then Constantine came into power and Constantine is known as the first Christian emperor. <laughs> Let me tell you the story. Early in the fourth century, after the death of Diocletian, the Roman emperor, 
two men contended for the throne, Constantine in the west and Maxentius in the east, were both determined to succeed Diocletian. Tradition has it that the night before the battle of Mulvian Bridge, Constantine saw a vision in the sky in the shape of a cross, bearing the Latin inscription, In hoc signo vice, which means, By this sign you must conquer. That night, Constantine bargained with Satan to join the church and declare himself a Christian. And Christianity was to be the religion of the state. Christian leaders were invited to witness the wholesale baptism of whole regiments of soldiers who were in Constantine's army. The unholy alliance of the church and the state resulted. Christianity was forced on unwilling subjects at sword point. It was either baptism or death. When later 400 bishops met, Constantine was carried on a golden throne and he presided over the council as the recognized head of the church. There is no evidence that Constantine was ever born again in his whole life. True believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who were being persecuted now found themselves lauded by political and civil authorities. Their rags worn during persecution and their hideouts in the catacombs were traded for soft garments and plush homes. The Pergamos stage of history came into being. The church was married to the world. And Constantine was now called Pontifex Maximus, the first pope, the Holy Roman Church. While still retaining his heathen high priestly title, Constantine assumed leadership of the church. What happened then was the church and state were united and heathenism was gradually Christianized. So pagan temples became Christian churches and heathen festivals were converted into Christian ones and we have more of those that we celebrate today than you want to know about. <laughs> pagan priests were slipped into office as Christian priests. W.A. Criswell describes it like this. He said, the priests of Jupiter, of Juno, of Dionysius, of Bacchus, of Venus, and of Adonis all had been paid out of the purse of Caesar. But now that Caesar was a Christian, the priests of the temples hastened to their baptism to remain on the imperial payroll. They turned their heathen temples into churches and they said, these are no longer images of Jupiter or Juno or Venus. These are images of the saints. The same rituals by which they had worshipped all of the other gods now employed to worship the true queen of heaven. They bowed down in the same way, in the same ceremony, in the same temples, before the same idols, but now the idols were named after so-called Christian saints. Even the days by which the priest honored their gods were made days on the calendar to honor the saints. The astonishing thing took place overnight. Up to this point, humble homes and catacombs and dungeons had echoed with the hymns of God's children 
whose singing was sometimes changed into the shouts of the martyrs as they were dragged into the arena. All of that now was passed, and the rags of persecution were changed for the plush silk of the imperial palace, and the Pergamenian period of the church had begun. The church had been married to the world. The Roman culture and the Christian church under the leadership of Constantine the emperor became one. And for the next many years, Rome ruled the world using the church as its number one vehicle. Walter Scott said Constantine offered his gold and patronage to the church and it eagerly swallowed the bait sacrificed its conscience and allegiance to its Lord, and the church and the world which hitherfore had walked apart were soon locked in each other's arms, a fatal union. The lesson of Pergamos and the church is what Satan couldn't do through persecution, what he couldn't do through the lessening of the love of the people of God, he did through filtering into the church and corrupting what the church really was. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and he warned them about the savage wolves. But in the next paragraph he said something like this, after my departure there will be those who rise up from among you who will carry you away from the truth. You know Satan doesn't really care how he ruins your life. He doesn't care how he ruins mine. He doesn't care how he corrupts the church. He will try anything. If it doesn't work this way, he'll come back with another way. So what was the Protestant Reformation? The Protestant Reformation was the pulling back of the church from its union with the Roman Empire. It was the pulling away from the government's influence in the life of the church. And we are in that tradition. And I visited all the places where the Protestant Reformation took place, and I'll never forget some of the prices that were paid for men like Martin Luther, who stood up against the evil of the church that had been corrupted by the Roman government. All of that's what happened during this period of time. And I have to tell you, I've edited and left out a lot, but I don't want you to forget the lesson of Pergamos is this. It's the lesson of Balaam. If you can't curse them, you can corrupt them. And God knows that in our world today, in our churches, in our families, in our homes, Satan is still using that strategy wherever it can be used. Years and years ago, I found a statement that was written. This is apparently a statement that belongs to G. Campbell Morgan. And I had forgotten where it was and couldn't find it until I was getting ready to preach this message. And I want to read this statement to you. This is what it says. Because this is the lesson in this is where we live right now. How many of you know we live in a time of toleration? Isn't that the key word? Everything is tolerated except those who are Christians. Isn't that true? But toleration is the key word. Now listen to this statement. There is a toleration which is treachery. There is a peace which issues in paralysis. 
There are hours when the church must say no to those who ask communion with her and in the doing of her work upon the basis of compromise. Such standing aloof may produce ostracism and persecution, but it will maintain power and influence. If the church of God in the cities of today were aloof from the maxims of the age, separated from the materialistic philosophies of the schools, bearing witness alone to the all-sufficiency of Christ and the perfection of his salvation, even though persecuted and ostracized and bruised, it would be to the church that men would look in the hour of their heartbreak and sorrow and national need. The reason why men do not look to the church today is that she has destroyed her own influence by compromising with the things of the world. So that people say today there's so much world in the church and so much church in the world, you can't tell the difference between the two. And I could cite all of the statistics that come from all of the surveys that say when it comes to how we live, it's not a whole lot better than how the rest of the world lives. And people say, why has the church lost its influence? We have become so fixated on being relevant that we've become totally irrelevant. We've been so fixated on taking our mantra from the media and taking our marching orders from the marketplace instead of from the word of God. We now have nothing to say to the world that's different than what they can get just about any place else. Turn on the television and you will hear honored and respected men taking up hours on television saying things you could go to a positive mental attitude seminar and get probably done better and maybe cheaper. So when we no longer are the church in the world, why should we expect the world to ever come and ask what we think about anything? And I want to tell you, there's time for us to get back. Maybe this is the time. Toleration is a word that is being overlooked. There is a toleration which is treachery, and there is a peace which is paralysis. I'm not a rabble-rouser. I'm not a fighter. I don't like to get in shootouts with other people. You know that. Ladies and gentlemen, we're walking into a period of time that's very Pergaminian, where if we're not careful, we're going to lose our sense of who we are and the church will be just a byword as it has become already in so many places. So what do we do about that? We ask the Lord to make us vigilant. We ask the Lord to give us courage. We ask the Lord to help us understand that we can still be the church. If people want to ridicule us and say that we're intolerant because we speak the truth, so be it. But when we speak the truth, we stand in the train of the Lord God who called us, who himself is the truth. And that's the message from Pergamos, the abbreviated message from Pergamos. Well, I hope you have listened carefully and have been making applications uh, to your own church and to your own life. Tomorrow we move from uh, Pergamos to a place called Thyatira. And uh, we can encourage you to read ahead because it's also in the second chapter of Revelation and finishes out the chapter. We'll get started with that tomorrow as we continue our way through these uh, letters that were written to the churches in the book of Revelation. The Book of Signs is our resource for the month of March. Um, It's a guide to biblical prophecy uh, written in a way that you 
will really be intrigued by because every chapter is a message in itself, and yet it all fits together. And every chapter is written like an article you would read in a magazine or in a newspaper. It's not a sermon, although there are sermonic uh, aspects to it. We've written this with um, key stories and illustrations, contemporary applications. We want you to understand what the Scripture says because we know when you do, it will make a difference in your life. So when you send a gift to Turning Point during this month, this month of March, be sure and ask for your copy of the Book of Signs. It's 463 pages of information to help you, information to share with others, information from God about what's going to happen next. Once again, it's a biblical resource we want you to have to say thank you for your gift to us here at Turning Point. I'm David Jeremiah. I'll be back tomorrow. Hope you join us then. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, please let us know by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, The Book of Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Available in your choice of handsome cover options. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue The Seven Churches of Revelation here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. The New Testament book of James sometimes sounds like it was written during the Old Testament era. For example, he tells a simple parable in chapter 4 about men who made big plans to travel to a distant city on business and spend a year making money. He warns them that such plans are prideful if they don't take God's will into account. 
And that is a perfect illustration of Proverbs 27.1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. But God knows what tomorrow holds, and our plans must always be subservient to His. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's plans for your future on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.